Thanks, Nate. Morning, everybody. If you uh, were not here last week, you're coming in halfway through, uh, just spending two weeks in this little book of Habakkuk. And so, this whole book is a conversation. It's a conversation between the prophet and God. And my summary of it is it goes something like this. Habakkuk, really? God, really? Habakkuk, really? God, really? Habakkuk, really? God, really? Habakkuk, really? It's a little bit more complex than that. And it's from a very different time and place. And as you listen to Nate read those words, you might be thinking, what is all this judgment? As people often find the prophets of the Old Testament um, a bit dark, a bit challenging, a bit confronting because they talk a lot about violence and destruction and judgment. But they come from a people who are suffering, who are experiencing oppression and brokenness in really real ways. And they speak into that context. They speak into the realities of their world. And so as we sit in this book, we know that it speaks into the realities of our world, but maybe we have to do a bit of work to understand how it spoke into the realities of their world and what it is that God might be saying to us. And so last week, in the first half of Habakkuk, we looked at three questions that Habakkuk asks God, asks of God and three responses that God gives. And I actually finished by asking you a couple of questions around what are your questions for God and how might you seek to make space for God to respond to them during the coming week. And so I just wanted to ask anyone willing to share whether you did that or how that worked out? I know I'm putting on the spot. I thought about like, I, yesterday, you know, I was trying to ask around on the Facebook group to see if, if anyone was willing to share. But anyone, just anyone have a go at it, making space to sit with some of your big questions of God and seeing how he might respond. No? That's okay. Um, but can I challenge you, because the purpose of coming and sitting in God's Word together is not so you can all hear me speak wonderful words, because I don't have any for you, uh, but it's actually that we might ourselves dig into God's Word and respond to it for ourselves. So I would really encourage you, if you in the busyness of this season, um, if you find space, it's a very short little book, Habakkuk, but um, the real invitation of it is to allow yourself to ask the big questions that you have of God and to make space that God might seek to respond. And you might find yourself where we find ourselves today in the second half of Habakkuk, um, which asks a slightly different question. I'll say I, I, you know, challenged by my own sermon this week, um, I did realise that I had a big question for God. I'd actually forgotten when I was preaching. I'm preaching on the topic and I hadn't even thought about it until afterwards. Um, it was a week, uh, sorry, it was a year this week since my dad died and I have some big questions for God around how that all happened and our relationship and kind of, you know, it was pretty messy and, and un finished an unfulfilling um, conclusion to a life. And so I said, I better take my own words and challenge seriously and made some space on Thursday on the, on the day of the anniversary just to kind of sit and wrestle with those questions. I can't give you like, you know, I had a big lightning bolt from the sky, but there's something about making that space that does bring a sense of peace and a sense of, okay, it's okay to have those questions and actually God's happy for me to ask those questions and say those things that are maybe a little impolite and you can't, you know, you can't say in, in, a, in nice company. Uh, so, yeah, I would challenge you if you've got those big questions, don't kind of just leave this book and go, oh, that was a bit weird, we did two weeks and have a cut, really? Um, but actually <laughs> take its invitation. But so the focus last week was on the questions that we have. And it's really about the questions we have when we look at what's going on in the world. And we see war and violence. And we see brokenness and death. And we see sickness and we see 
hard stuff and we ask God questions like, how long? Why don't you step in? Why is this happening? Where are you? But in the second half of the book, I think it almost flips and it's not so much uh, the question and response isn't Habakkuk's questions and God's responses, but it's almost like God takes the initiative in the second half of the book and it's God's words that Habakkuk is now responding to. So God's given Habakkuk the space and said, ask away. You've got full permission to ask your impertinent questions of me. And Habakkuk does and God responds. And then now, as part of this conversation, God's like, okay, I've got some things I want to say to you. And so today I just want to look again, like we did last week, we looked at three questions and three responses. Today I've got for you three promises that God makes and three prayers that Habakkuk has in response. So after making the space to question God and God responding, then Habakkuk gets to sit and listen as God affirms his promises and then Habakkuk prays in response. And he prays a few different kinds of prayer. So I hope that that might encourage us today as we listen for God's promise to us and how we might pray in response. So I started last week with the question, what do you see happening around the world? Uh, Today, I want to ask you almost the opposite question, not what do you see, but what don't you see? Or maybe more specifically, this is a genuine question that I'm looking for responses to, heads up. What do you see or what uh, that you, sorry, (laughs) what do you believe in that you can't see? What do you not see? So what are the things that you believe but you cannot see? That's a pretty broad question. It can be anything. What, name anything for me that you believe in but you can't see. Anyone? Gravity. Gravity. Great point. Great one to start with. Yeah. Justice. Okay. Anyone believe in love? There's a lot of songs written about it. Anyone? Anyone? Can you see it? What else do you believe in that you can't see? Oxygen? Yeah. I, I kind of believe in that. It's, it's pretty helpful. Yeah. Come on, guys. We're sitting in a church. <laughs> Life and death, yeah. God? Someone else? Just say hope? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> what was I missed that? Carbon dioxide, okay, yeah. Yeah, well, like we've named, you know, oxygen, like what about like poison, poisonous gases and, you know, things like that's good and bad things. <laughs> the past? That's, now we're getting deep. Come on, come on with me. Someone on my wavelength. Anything else? Last chance. Anything else you think of that you believe in that you can't see? Eternal life? There's, there's actually heaps, right? There's heaps of things that you believe in day by day that you can't see. Here I get really specific for you. As I was driving here this morning in my car, I believe in the other driver's understanding of the road rules, right? (laughs) Don't always see it, but I trust it because if I didn't, yeah. But we actually, every day, like you, you take it down to that kind of really practical level day by day, we couldn't get through life, I don't believe, if we only believed in or only put our trust in the things that we can see, right? We actually have to take on faith a whole bunch of things that we can't see. We named some really obvious ones like gravity and oxygen. If you don't have faith in those, you might be in trouble. But there's also a whole bunch of other stuff the Bible tells us that we can believe in that we can't see, like hope and love and justice and truth and eternity and our great God. That's faith, right? Faith is believing in things that you can't see. You take on faith that gravity is real and you live accordingly. You take on faith that love is real and you live accordingly. 
you take on faith, <laughs> the people are going to obey the law and you live accordingly. doesn't always work out so well. But <laughs> we live by faith in all kinds of ways. And so I want to suggest to you today that the book of Habakkuk is actually all about this kind of interplay between faith and sight. So Habakkuk starts by looking around, seeing what he can see. He's like, I see war, I see violence, I see bloodshed, I see exploitation, I see oppression. What are you doing, God? But actually where he comes to in the second half of the book is what he can't see. And he comes to a place of faith. And he says, I see hope and I see justice and I see God. Not with my eyes, well, not with these eyes, but with faith. What we see might cause us to question God. And that's great. That's fine. We have permission to look at our world and say, God, what are you doing? But it is what we don't see, Habakkuk suggests, that gives us hope and leads us forward. And when I talk about faith, I'm using the word faith and trust a bit interchangeably because I sometimes think we hear the word faith and we think it's all about what happens in here. Like faith is an intellectual, you know, I believe in these things. I believe in gravity. No, actually having faith in gravity means like I don't just try and fly. Right? Like I actually, like, you know, order my life according to that belief. That's faith. That's trust, right? I act in response. Same kind of thing when I'm driving on the road. Same kind of thing when I'm following Jesus. I don't just have intellectual beliefs about him, but I order my life in response accordingly. So faith and trust are essentially the same thing. It's a whole of life response. And so in this book, what Habakkuk doesn't see, but what he affirms are some promises from God. And in response, he prays some incredible prayers of faith. So it's still a dialogue between God and the prophet, but a different kind of conversation. So let me start for you with the three promises that God makes in those verses that Nate read. And the first promise actually links back. There's a, you know, there's a real overlap with what we looked at last week. But the first promise that God makes in chapter 2 of Habakkuk is that justice will come. I kind of mentioned this last week and said it makes me nervous because I don't want to guarantee that. But God actually does. God promises that justice will come. That, that, whole, sec- like that whole bulk of chapter 2 that Nate read, which you might have found really challenging, it's a list of woes. It's like, you know, how sad will it be for people and how everything's going to be turned around and how the wicked are going to get what's coming to them and those who have been unjust will experience true justice once and for all. Is a promise from God that justice will come. It is foundation of hope for the future God's promise is that ultimate justice will come and he will set all things right now for Habakkuk in particular this is about the Babylonians they are the current world superpower in his day who are just marching through the world doing terrible things rampaging violence war destruction chaos and conflict and so Habakkuk needs to know that God says justice will come for them It might not look like it right now, but in faith you can believe that my justice will come. And so against the Babylonians, we get words that Nate read like these from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 6. Soon their captives will taunt them. They might be taking people prisoner now, but it's all going to turn around. They will mock them saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. How much longer can this go on? Well, suddenly your debtors are going to take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. You have done evil, God says to the Babylonians, but justice will come for you. Now this is a big part of the Old Testament prophets and as I said before, a lot of people find this a little bit uncomfortable. We sang a song earlier this morning, Daughters of Zion. I won't ask you to put up your hand for this, but I don't know how many of you feel uncomfortable when we sing that song in church. Because it's a bit weird. It's a bit odd. It's not like most of the other songs that we sing. We don't sing many songs that have woes in them, right? Woe to the wicked ones. That comes from the prophets. 
But that's actually a really common song in the Bible. A song that declares God's justice for those who are currently experiencing and seeing in the world injustice. And it isn't very common for us to do. And I have to admit, sometimes I feel find that song a little bit awkward and a little bit uncomfortable, but I love that we sing it. And I have to wonder if the reason that we find it uncomfortable is because for most of us, most of our lives and most of our experience, we're not actually the ones experiencing injustice. And in fact, we might be the ones who are benefiting from injustice. I can only imagine what it would be like to stand as we did this morning and sing that song, Daughters of Zion, in Gaza this morning, at the Baptist Church as part of our family in Gaza this morning. What would it be like to sing that song? It would be a very different experience, right? (laughs) Or in Afghanistan, or in Myanmar, or in Israel, or in any of the places where people are experiencing violence and conflict and injustice. There is a place for that kind of worship because it is a cry based on God's promise that justice will come. And we want to come back to that because actually one of Habakkuk's prayers in response is that kind of prayer. A pretty audacious, maybe even slightly outrageous and awkward prayer (laughs) based on the promise that God will set things right. It is good news for the poor and the oppressed that God is just and he will judge and set things right. So that's the first promise that justice will come. The purpose of that, God says, and where that kind of all those, you know, statements in chapter 2 about the terrible things that the Babylonians have done and how justice will come for them ends with this incredible verse in verse 14 that's actually quoted uh, throughout the rest of the Bible by a number of, by the psalmists and by a couple of the other prophets where where Habakkuk says, or God says to Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The second promise God makes is that his glory will be seen. Justice will come. The reason that justice will come is that God might be seen to be just or God might be seen to be holy. God might be seen to be glorious. God might be seen to be who he is. The purpose of judgment, Habakkuk would say, and I think all of the Old Testament prophets would agree, is actually not about us. It's about God being seen to be who he is. If God doesn't judge evil, if God doesn't overturn injustice, then God is not just. Then God is not holy. Then God is not who he claims to be. You see, we tend to read passages like this and find them awkward because we read them on a very human level, which is totally understandable because we're human. (laughs) But it's actually the reputation of God that is at stake in the world. Is God just? Is God good? Is God holy? Will God be seen to be who he is? That, that word glory, God's glory will be seen. Um, one of those song, words that comes up a lot in Christmas carols actually, the glory of God. And it's one of those words I think it's like so hard to get a handle on. Um, in the hymn that we sang this morning, it's, there's that line that I only noticed this morning, I have to admit something about it. It's only the brightness of light that hides God. I was like, what does that mean? But that's really a line about God's glory, right? That trying to capture the fullness of who God is in one word. That if God is all the things he says he is, he's the creator of everything that he is, he's all-powerful, he's just, he's good, he's merciful, he's righteous, he's just, no, I've already said that one, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's splendorous. How do you capture that one word? Sometimes the Bible uses the word holy, other times it uses the word glory. The idea that when you look at God and you see God, not with these eyes, but with the eyes of faith, you realise that God is the fullness of all that. 
And that's the second promise God makes in the book of Habakkuk. That glory will be seen. God will be revealed to be exactly who he has always promised he was and you will be amazed. You will be blown away by how great our God is. Thanks, Pam, for picking all those songs this morning. (laughs) She'd obviously been reading Habakkuk this week, even though she didn't put up her hand. (laughs) Um, So the purpose of, of God's justice and judgment coming is to actually vindicate God and to prove that God is who he says he is. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. So our faith looks to a day when not just justice will come for the oppressed and things will be set right for us, but where God will be seen in the fullness of who he is. That's amazing. That's worth hanging on to. (laughs) Get this, here's the third promise that God makes to Habakkuk. That God, who will be seen in the fullness of all how amazing he is, is God now. Not he will be that God in the future. It will be seen in the future that he is that God. But Habakkuk's, the third promise that Habakkuk receives is that God is God now. And so this is where um, Habakkuk starts to talk about idols. So again, you've got to understand the context of Habakkuk's living in. But there's a contrast made between the idols and other gods that people of Habakkuk's day are worshipping and the true God. And Habakkuk is you know, told about these idols who are made of stone and wood and covered with gold and they might look really fancy, but they can't do anything. <laughs> they just sit there lifeless and mute. They don't speak. They don't have any power. They just look impressive. And in contrast... He is told, let me read actually from verse, sorry, where am I, from verse 18. He said, what good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us? To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. That's idols. That's who other people are worshipping. In contrast, but, one of the big buts of the Bible, one T. God says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's quite, it's one of those verses that you could easily miss, right? There's a huge description, multiple verses about idols and just one simple line about God. But the point that God is making, the promise that God is making here is that God is God right now. While everybody else is crying out to idols, you're not waiting for God to be God one day. He is right now, he says to Habakkuk, in his holy temple. And if the earth knew it, they would all just stand awestruck in silence before him. God is God now. We don't wait for him to be God one day. And so there's another invitation here to wait upon God, to to be silent, to be still, to make space to encounter God. That's three incredible promises, hidden, if you like, in the midst of the judgment of the book of Habakkuk, that justice will come, that God will be seen in the fullness of who he is, and that he is actually that God right now. So how does Habakkuk respond? Those promises, hearing those incredible truths affirmed, lead Habakkuk to pray in response. And as I said, different kinds of prayer. And I'm going to do what I did last week, which is work backwards again. So I'm going to jump around in the book and not read it from start to finish linearly, because that's a good Hebrew thing to do. uh, Old Testament books are often not written to be read, you know, from beginning to end, but to sit in and and walk around in and see the centre of. And so we're going to jump to the end of Habakkuk, because the third kind of prayer that Habakkuk prays, it's probably the most obvious one, 
It's like Habakkuk goes, okay, if God is going to be bringing his justice eventually and God will be seen for who he is and God is actually that same God right now, I trust him. My response is a response of faith, of trust and even rejoicing. And so Habakkuk ends with this incredible prayer or song or declaration of faith and trust. I'm going to age myself right now, but there's a great song when I was first became a Christian from the book of Habakkuk. Scripture and song, a couple of nods around the room. Yep, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine. Though the produce of the olive crop fail and there be no field, uh, flocks in the barn. <laughs> Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And I remember as like 15, 16 year old thinking, why am I singing about flocks and olive oil and crops? Because I don't have any of those. <laughs> but now I realise it's an incredible song of faith. Even if nothing looks like it's going right. Even if through these eyes, all I see is brokenness and chaos and conflict, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. How can you sing that? How can you have that kind of faith? Because you understand these kinds of promises that God has made, that he is that God now, even when you can't see it. It is an incredible song or prayer of faith. So Habakkuk's first prayer is a prayer of trusting and rejoicing. Even though I don't see it, he says... I will rejoice. Worship is an act of faith. When we sing songs like we have sung this morning, declaring how great God is, we are seeing by faith, not by sight. We're not looking at what we see in the world around us, but we're looking to the promises that God has made and responding in faith. And actually, I noted that, Nate, you didn't read the very last verse of the book. Did you realize that? Verse 20. Habakkuk ends in the weirdest way. The very last book of the book, uh, verse of the book, if anyone's got it in front of you, it says something like, for the director of music on the Shigioth. It ends with this like musical directive note. A lot of the Psalms start that way. So the book of Psalms, you know, you'll get these Psalms that start with, you know, this is meant to be sung to this tune or sung by a choir or use this instrument to sing this. The book of Habakkuk actually ends with that, which suggests to me that Habakkuk had this conversation with God out of his real life experience and he wrote it all down and then someone went, hey, let's sing that. Let's sing that in church next week. <laughs> it's really odd. Let's be honest, right? It's really odd to take someone's random conversation with God, the questions they ask God, the, you know, the judgment that God pronounces on the world and say, let's turn that into a nice little worship tune. But that's what they did because this is a book of faith. This is a book of worship. It says, even though I look around the world and see darkness and chaos and brokenness, I can sing songs of rejoicing in God because I know who he is. I trust him that he is the God of justice, the God whose glory will be seen, and he is that God right now, even though I can't see it. So that's an incredible gift from the book of Habakkuk. If you get nothing else, just run away with that because it will, you know, something to hold on to uh, that can really speak into your life day by day. What does it look like to trust God and therefore rejoice and worship him, even when it doesn't look like things are going the way that you expect? But there's two more kinds of prayers that Habakkuk prays, working backwards. The second kind of prayer is actually a prayer of looking and waiting. The whole section in the first half of chapter 3 is basically a vision that Habakkuk has. But he writes his vision as a prayer. Again, Old Testament prophets, they're weird. But they have a lot to teach us. Habakkuk sees with the eyes of faith this vision of God coming to judge the earth, to coming particularly to judge the Babylonians. And so he can say things like, like, I see God coming from Mount Paran. Like that hasn't actually happened, what Habakkuk's talking about. Habakkuk is envisioning it. He's a prophet, he's having a vision. God is revealing to him the future, what is going to happen. 
He says, I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. It goes on for about 16 verses and right at the end, Habakkuk says in verse 16, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. This is why you don't actually want to put your hand up to be a prophet in the Old Testament days too easily, right? Because you have these overwhelming visions of God and you can't speak and you can't move because they're just so incredibly powerful. But then he says this, I will wait quietly for the coming day. I will wait quietly for the coming day. When Habakkuk looks with the eyes of faith and he sees a vision of what God is going to do, he sees that these promises that God have made are actually going to happen he's been given a glimpse of them his response is to say I will wait waiting is prayer in the bible waiting in our context in our world is annoying it is you know uh, it is something that we don't like to do it is something that gets in the way of us getting our task list fulfilled you know waiting is waiting around it's being bored it's looking at the clock going when is something going to happen when is the person I'm supposed to be meeting going to show up when is this queue going to get shorter we don't like waiting or is it just me waiting in the bible is an act of prayer waiting is a type of praying Think about that next time you're stuck in a really long line and it's not moving, or <laughs> stuck in traffic, or someone doesn't show up when they said they'd meet you and you find yourself waiting. How do you turn waiting into prayer? Well, Habakkuk does it by allowing himself to see, to get this vision, to like kind of tune into God's perspective, to see things God's way, to be filled with this incredible hope when he looks at what is going to happen, and to say, I just want to sit and wait for that. I just want to wait upon you, God, because I am longing and hopeful and expectant for what you will do. Now, I don't think Habakkuk just sat around for the rest of his life and never did anything again. God's given him a vision of the future of years away. He's still actually going to be active, but the act of waiting is an act of putting yourself into a space, a prayer space, a silent space, a quiet space, of actively looking at who God is and what he's going to do and being expectant in receiving. So we tend to think of prayer as the things that we say. I certainly do because I'm a talker. Part of prayer is actually me being quiet and waiting upon God and listening for him to speak. Habakkuk's invitation is to pray with loud rejoicing worship songs and to pray with silent, watchful, expectant waiting. And finally... The last kind of prayer that I want to mention that Habakkuk prays is actually the only real prayer request in the whole book. In three chapters of a conversation with God, there's really only one thing that Habakkuk asks for. He asks lots of questions. He spends lots of time waiting and looking and listening and rejoicing, but there's really only one request. If you were to say to Habakkuk, you know, give me a prayer list of things you're asking God for, I would suggest to you that if you read through the book, there's really just one. It's Habakkuk 3 verse 2, which is almost the centre of the book. Habakkuk says this, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. That that verse to me is almost the hinge, the centre on which the book of Habakkuk turns between this kind of questioning God 
and hearing God's promises and praying in response. Habakkuk comes to a moment of saying, I've heard about you, God. I've heard the stories about how amazing you are. I've spent time listening and looking and hearing your responses and I am filled with awe. I'm in a space of worship. And then from the depths of his heart comes his one request. What you did in the past, God, do it again today. Please do it again today. Because we are in deep need right now. God, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. That might be a much more familiar kind of prayer to us. But there's so much power in that prayer when it comes at the centre of this whole book. If you know that God is God the God who will be seen in the fullness of all who he is one day, but the God who is God right now. And you know what God has done in the past and you've seen and heard the stories of it. Then when you sit in a space where you look around the world and you see need and you see brokenness and you see injustice, what better prayer than God, be God again right now. Do it again, God. What you've done in the past, do it today. What you've done for them, do for me. What you did for the world back then, do for our world today. It is a bold prayer request, asking God to show up. So this is not a book that is passive, that says, oh, well, the world's just a mess and I've just got to trust God. That's the danger of reading Habakkuk from front to back, I think. Simplistically, you read it as Habakkuk's got lots of questions for God, but at the end he goes, oh, well, I'll just sing songs of praise anyway. And there's a truth to that, but it actually misses the heart. The heart is, if this is true, that I can praise God because he's God and he's amazing, even though the world is a mess, then at the heart of that comes my deep cry, God, be God right now. Be God for those people. God, be God in Gaza today. God, be God for the women of Afghanistan today. God, be God for the refugees crossing the border into India from Myanmar today. God, be God for my family and our sickness and our suffering. God, be God for our children. God, be God for me. This prayer of Habakkuk really reminds me of something Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In fact, he says more than that. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Habakkuk invites us into a place of prayer. Prayer that rejoices loudly, prayer that is silent and waits, and prayer that asks God to be God wherever we might find ourselves today. And in King Jesus and in his name and in the power of his presence in our lives, we are given an even greater promise than Habakkuk could ever have known. From Jesus' words to us, Everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So I want to finish again with just two questions that I'd love you to take a minute to talk to the person next to you about and maybe reflect on further this week. And they are this, which of God's promises resonates most with you today? If Habakkuk is a book that declares God's promises, I remind you, I gave you three but there might be others, Uh, It's that God, sorry, that justice will come, that God's glory will be seen and that God is God now. But more than just hearing those promises, how can those promises shape your prayer and your worship 
Where is the invitation for you today? Is it to rejoice loudly even in the midst of darkness? Is it to find space and sit quietly and wait upon God? And is it, or is it to boldly ask God to be God in a specific situation today? So take a couple of minutes, chat, and then we're going to pray and finish with another song. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this weird little book of Habakkuk and uh, the way that Habakkuk, as man, um, is really honest and wrestles with the big questions of his day and what he sees going on in the world and how it resonates so much with us. And we thank you that um, Habakkuk comes to this place of incredible faith, but a faith that is messy and complex and and sits in these different spaces of rejoicing and trusting you, but also waiting and longing and expectant for you and of asking you, of actually kind of challenging and requesting you, God, to be God, to show up, to reveal yourself even now as you will do one day. And so I pray for each of us as we've sat in this book over the last couple of weeks that um, whatever it is that you want to say to us individually, and that you might keep speaking and we might hear your invitation to sit in those hard spaces, whether it's the spaces of questions or response, whether it's the spaces of promise or prayer. And for us as a community too, just as we've had this little two-week window, uh, we pray that your word would um, not be empty but would produce fruit in us as a community in ways that we might not even be able to see right now um, because we want to be like Papakaka, people of faith, uh, people who trust in your promises, Uh, a people who wait for you and people who ask you to show up and be our God. Um, So we thank you for the opportunity to continue to worship you together and to proclaim the truths about you that are not simplistic truths but truths that speak into the realities of our world and the realities of our own lives. So we commit ourselves again to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, team.